0: You are listening to Real Men Feel with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. Uh, You know, at any time in our lives, we can be overcome with with emotion and and fall into, you know, patterns of anxiety or depression, and they can even lead to really the darkest places and you can have suicidal thoughts, perhaps even make attempts. I've talked about my own experience with that many times in the past. I've had many guests, guests come and openly talk about that, and that was really one of the missions of Real Men Feel is to openly, authentically share the, the darkest of times so that others know they aren't alone, so that others know there is hope, right? So that everybody knows you can get through this, right? And, and I know that can be done because I've gotten through it, and many of my guests have too. And today, is, we're going to be along that similar lines. I'm, I'm really excited to be talking to uh, my guest today is a, a successful entrepreneur, childhood sexual abuse survivor, and author, Author. wow. It's Friday, folks. <laughs> my guest today is a, is a Jesus Christ. My guest today is a successful entrepreneur, a <laughs> childhood sexual abuse survivor, and author Robert Imbo. Welcome to the show, Robert. Oh, thank you for having me. Man, my my tongue is not working today. Um. <laughs> So I kind of let the cat ride in the bag, and I do want to people I want to give everyone just kind of a trigger warning. You know, we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. some some heavy subjects. So we're going to talk about suicide and even suicide attempts. Um, if you're contemplating suicide, if you really feel that like dark place right now, stop listening, right? Take care of yourself mm-hmm. or reach out for help. In the United States, you can call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 8255 or you can text HOME to 741741. Outside of the United States, visit suicide.org for a complete list of lots of international numbers and support. But take care of yourself. We're talking about heavy, dark places because we aren't there currently. All right. And and let me make sure. Robert, how are you feeling today?
1: (laughs) Well, funny you ask, because I generally preface anything that I I talk about uh, by saying that Right now, you know, I'm looking through the lens of my best life, living a life of joy and happiness, and grateful for for every single moment. So, before I we we get into the dark stuff, I generally say that. So, I'm great. How are you? Cool.
0: <laughs> I'm good too. So, even with the pandemic, uh, you and your family, everybody's healthy and and doing okay right now. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, we we're, we're pretty good. I mean, I'm stuck with the you know my favorite people in the world. So, uh, and with two young daughters, so it's just it's super fine and fun you know and uh, we're trying to help where we can cool
0: now as someone with a history of suicidal thoughts has anything about uh perhaps some of uh, the fear the isolation has, has anything about this been extra challenging for you in any way do do your history
1: um I, only insofar as worrying about my friends uh that i know that were struggling before so we can reach out you know electronically um um, and one, you know, was contemplating suicide recently, um, and luckily I took a course on how to recognize and talk about it and provide connect to help. That really, really helped. So um, I, I worry about a lot of, you know, people in, you know, in my community and in, in family, of course. So it's just a matter of uh, for for me myself, not, you no, know, I'm I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty stable, um, and having gone through this whole book thing has been uh, tremendously helpful um but uh yeah it's more worried about you know my friends family community and everyone really
0: so we'll just jump right into it you know many people write suicide notes um you actually wrote your book before i leave you with the intention of of killing yourself once it was complete is that right
1: yeah yeah that's that's exactly exactly right yeah i in, in after after a failed attempt uh uh and and <laughs> just not to get graphic, but I crushed my windpipe and I couldn't speak. And I just sort of turned to writing and the writing was, was a secret goodbye. And, um, and for those who have experienced it, you know, you want to explain why, you know, death seems better than living, you know, cause it's, it's explaining the pain and like this, the pain it's constant, it's chronic. I, I, I can't handle it anymore. So I really wanted to explain why. Um, and I also wanted, like from the practical aspect, I wanted to make sure the passwords got into the right hands. You know, I I was uh, early stages of building what's becoming a pretty good company. And I had partners and I had staff and I had people that I didn't want to leave in a lurch um, more than, you know, their good friends committing suicide. You know, I just sort of just, you know, and this is what the book, the title was, before I leave you, I have to get this stuff done uh, and write this letter. So yeah, that's how it started.
0: So it, it it seems like a rather logical approach, like oh well here here are my steps and I've got to take care of this. And it, at at what at what point during the writing process, or perhaps it wasn't even during the writing process, did you realize, you, you know, what I'm I'm actually not going to try to kill myself? Or you know, how did that? It unfold? was
1: I mean, on, during the descent, it's a series of you know rock bottoms. Um, you know, uh, I turned to drugs and alcohol. You know, I in in a, like leaving Las Vegas style. Uh, which is the story about. So I really wanted to just party my ass off and die. Um, I also discovered ecstasy, which was amazing. Life is good for those few hours. And then worse (laughs) than the following uh, few hours. Um, So, and I kept writing. um, I think writing itself as a therapy, you know, at least it was for me, I was able to be vulnerable without, being vulnerable to someone else. So, you know, I, I say the only you know, the, the pages knew my words and only the words knew how I felt. And um that turned into more um more therapy. So I kept on doing it and it it, it you know, healing crept in. Mm-hmm. And there were other things. You know, I, I had a girlfriend at the time who I had brought down with me, but she brought us back out, you know, through through meditation and through other avenues. So these little branches like crabgrass growing up uh, uh, um, started to heal. And when I eventually shared my, what I was writing, um, it was my, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, who said, you know, you can share this and this could help people. And that's when it kind of turned into um, uh, a book, an outward book. And everyone should write a memoir you know, um, maybe not before the age of 40, <laughs> which is an arbitrary number, but um, I think everyone should write a memoir because the catharsis in writing down, being truthful, being raw, um, you know, really accepting, you know, how much of an asshole you were and why um, and getting better. You're like, I was real. I was awful. I was an awful human being and I accept that and I'll own it and now I'll get better, you know, now I'll be a better human being. I'll help people and So um, writing just provided so much, Um, you know, it it just, and it, it, it kind of was while I wasn't looking, (laughs) you know, I was like writing this, you know, suicide letter essentially. And it turned into, you know, it was like, actually you're you're getting better now. You don't really want to die. And there's, there's a series of epiphanies, but there is one moment um, not too far from you (laughs) at Walden Pond uh, where I describe in the book was kind of a big turnaround for me.
0: And, and how long from when you started writing to when it, was, it felt complete?
1: Uh, till it, uh, probably about five, Oh, geez, writing. <laughs> I mean, I started writing in the, the throes of <laughs> right. anguish. Um, and I guess I was partying for the better part of five years. And um, it was another year or two after. Um, so it was good two years of it being focused on making it a book. Okay. Turning it into a book.
0: So, all right. So, that's what I wanted to to, to get clarity on. So, it wasn't uh, just a weekend of like, oh, just rapidly regurgitating on paper. It was. <laughs> it was a long time, right? All right. So, it was
1: a very, very long time. Yeah, I wanted the writing to be good. I've always wanted, you know, to be a writer, and I really wanted the writing to be good. Um, my wife gifted me a memoir writing class, um, and it was a local award-winning author who's teaching it. Uh, And I shared my book and she said, wow, I, you know, I think, you know, this could be a really good book. She then became my editor and proceeded to destroy the shit out of it, (laughs) Um, but made it, made it better, Made, made me better, you know, because how I wrote was how I felt and some things I didn't recognize. And she just sort of brought them to light and really considered, I'm like, wow, this is how, this is how my thinking works. You know, William James once said, I'll tell you what I'm thinking when I can write it down. (laughs) <laughs> right because you really don't know what's in there sometimes so um, yeah it was a long arduous painful painful process
0: <laughs> so you mentioned before you started writing there was an attempt that you ended up with a, a crushed windpipe mm-hmm. did did anyone know about that no no so nope. you kept no one secret. knew
1: wait, wait. no one knew that I was um, uh, I wanted to end my life nobody knew what was going on there was a catalyst involved like that something happened and um, I hit it very well and, uh, and I turned to partying, right? So I'm high on drugs and alcohol. And so I, I'm living my best life, you know, from the perspective of social media, I was like, wow, this guy's rolling. He's, he's doing a really good job. <laughs> he's level knife.
0: But it was, that was my mask. Had, had you had that mask since childhood? Were, was, were, were there depressive suicidal thoughts at early ages or only as an adult?
1: no there was a longing to die um just to get into i'll get into i have to tell the backstory i think just i i um in the early stages of building this company um uh, a memory resurfaces of being raped as an eight-year-old boy and that's what sensed me spinning and i was married you know to someone i adored and um it left me catatonic for a couple of days and uh, ultimately, I just sort of, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with it at eight, which is probably why it kind of like was repressed somewhat. Um, but um, I decided to end my life, left my wife, started doing drugs and alcohol, just partied uh, as my, and tried to spend all of my money just to get rid of it. No reason to to, to live it, to to have it. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that's how it started anyway. And that was... When, when, as soon as I left my wife, uh, that's when the first attempt uh, took place, and I had decided subsequent attempts as well.
0: And so, what age was that when you had that 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 memory 30, flash? Thirty-eight.
1: 30. So it was uh, it was thirty years. Yeah. And looking back, just to get to, to circle back to your original question, um, looking back, the, it was always there. So the, the, it was. I had addictions to almost anything throughout my life. Uh, the. The biggest one was work. I was addicted to to definitely work a uh, workaholism um, and built businesses and, you know, was outwardly very successful. But my relationships were shit. I, I still wanted to die. You know, I checked all the boxes of stuff, the house, the cars, all that stuff. Um, but the longing to die never, never uh, subsided. And then I realized why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something I only realized writing the book. <laughs>
0: yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um... This story resonates strongly with me and a lot of other men that I've talked to. So I was sexually abused at like age five and I didn't remember, I wasn't conscious of it till like age 20 and and after right. multiple suicide attempts and finally, and, and for me, I was like, Oh, so that's why. Ah, Oh, great. Everything's right. all set now. Did, did you yeah. have that? Like when you went to, Oh, I remember like my core <laughs> event. So it shall be gravy. That's, that's
1: <laughs> not so much exact gravy, but I mean, there's still a lot of work to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and I realized it's not something you deal with and put away. It's something you integrate. Um, and, but you can use that power for good and like you, like you are on your platform, right? Doing really important work, what you're doing. So, um, you use it to your advantage, but it's still there. It's still shitty. You still look back at that five-year-old or eight-year-old and say, fuck, <laughs> you know, how can someone do that? And then I, went I mean I, I went to therapy too I, you know I found someone that um and I, I interviewed a bunch of therapists and I describe it in the book I just was full of shit pretty much and wanted to see if anyone would you know call me on it and one woman did this woman with like two PhDs was you know uh, much much smarter than I she's like you know this is really expensive you're just gonna be full of shit all the whole time uh and I'm like okay well I'm gonna keep her <laughs> and decide to be as honest as possible um so and and it was her to, to really help integrate all the all of that past into how that informs who i was and how it informs who i am and i still do therapy now she's since you know retired but to have a new therapist helping me um because i'm a father of two and i i and and a husband i really want the good things to inform those those roles
0: cool now uh... You've also had some some high moments in your life. You've you've built businesses. You've met the Queen of England. You've been swimming with great white sharks. All these like exotic, cool things. During those times, could you appreciate them? Did they feel good, or is there always just this darkness in the background?
1: I think a lot of those. I mean, yeah, I went with a really good friend of mine. I had a bucket list, and he's like, "Well, let's just go do those things." And we, you know, went skydiving and great, swimming with great white sharks. But again, that those were major distractions to, um, looking within and yeah, they felt great. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's adrenaline, you know, but <laughs> the, the right molecules are probably, you know, bumping. Like I think, um, they, they felt good in the moment and yeah, meeting the queen is a weird <laughs> thing that, uh, I did through uh, a charity organization that I was on the board. Um, of. so yeah, <laughs> I mean, those things definitely, Felt good in the moment, but they were just like chasing that high.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so
1: that was before I knew.
0: Oh, okay. so you mentioned having a bucket list. So it wasn't, it, was it a traditional bucket list of things <laughs> I want to do or a bucket list before I die?
1: No, this is a bucket list like, yeah, I mean, it was just the things to do before okay. I knew. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, the book was <laughs> the other, the real bucket list, I guess. This is things I need to do before I kill myself.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, multiple attempts. Had you been someone that that wrote notes and left messages for those for those attempts that that did not succeed?
1: No, the the first one um, I didn't. I decided to start writing, and leave, I was going to leave that. And I, you know, I, I definitely I, I thought of the idea of just sort of leaving it out and sending it to a publisher, or you know, just leaving it with my lawyer or something like that. Um, and the other attempts were I was too high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just, and I was trying to overdose, and and yeah, yeah. there's, I describe one at um, uh, EDC, one of the biggest raves in the world, and and I was just trying, and something happened that ended the event abruptly, and then my friend recognized what I was doing, like it was just. A culmination of events that prevented me from going through with it which is it was crazy because they were outward they weren't it wasn't me and you know i lost the bag of drugs <laughs> in a sea of fifty thousand and too you know fucked up to to find it obviously so it, just, it was uh so all these other attempts i didn't really leave any any note they were yeah. like and i think people would have been shocked unless they found what i was writing yeah.
0: so you, in the moment as kind of life is conspiring to keep you alive, could, could you did could you accept that? Could you see it that way, or it's just like oh, I'm an idiot and I can't even do this right, or like how is yeah, that? Yeah, no,
1: yeah. Every time I failed was uh, now I'm one of those. Either I'm incompetent or this is a pathetic, you know, call for attention, and I hated myself even more. And there I was just frustrated. At that point I was just frustrated and like they're physically carrying me out of the event and I'm in the backseat of this car with this stuffed Care Bear, <laughs> um, which I've written an essay about. Um, and uh, I'm waiting for my next opportunity. And I was just sort of like as much as I could, you know, cause I wasn't as lucid <laughs> as you can imagine, but I was just sort of like, I need to get more. And, and I want to finish the job. I'm trying to freak out and trying to, not, you know, yeah, not draw attention to it.
0: So did, did, so you sound like you had a, a pretty extensive period of, of self-destructive behavior. Did did anyone in your um, circle of friends or family n- see this as suicidal? Uh,
1: no, I think there were a few people. My sister was worried about me. There were uh, my ex was actually worried about me. And um, but most people chalked it up to, oh, he's just indulging a little too much. And, you know, we'll step in if we see a problem type thing. My 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 ex actually reached out to a friend of mine um, and he was just like, no, no, he's fine. He's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll do okay. He was kind of being like the friend to keep her out of my life, kind of being protective of me, but not knowing what was really going on.
0: You were consciously wishing you were dead. Yeah. And doing things to, to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Having lived through that, is there anything that you wish someone had said, like, could someone have like pulled your, was there a connection that could have stopped it earlier?
1: You know, in, in the course um, I, I took to, to recognize it, it you know, uh, the first thing is, is to say it out loud. Right. And no one would ever say it out loud. I don't know if I would have been receptive. I don't think I would have been at that, at that time. Um, uh, maybe, I mean, the therapist did bring it up and and she had this whole thing with every time you have these catastrophic, catastrophic thoughts, write down how you're feeling. Um, And she was uh, in support. I wanted to do uh, ecstasy, she's like, yeah, you know, if you need to do it, do it. But before you do it, write down what you're thinking, what's leading you to to this, which is part of her genius, right? You start doing that. You're like, okay, before I have to write this down for my fucking therapist and I start writing this down, I'm like, do I really want to take ecstasy right now? And, you know, and just like it's not fun if I'm allowed <laughs> right like so you know a few times uh, I didn't I chose not to, and I just you know either went to bed or, or you know had some wine or something yeah. Um, so yeah I, 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 in those in those moments that's uh, they I, I I couldn't recognize where what the source was yeah
0: cool yeah I, uh, there were so many parallels between your experience and my experience, and I'm sure mm-hmm. countless other men as well. Um, now that I've said that, I don't know why I said that. <laughs>
1: well, the big thing, like, when I was – and I started doing research because I really wanted to understand repressed memory because, you know, um, kid of the 80s, I, I didn't really – respect it i didn't really i'm like well is that really a thing and looking into the memory wars and there was a whole because it it is a it was a controversial topic back in the 80s and early 90s and it it, yeah culminated into what they call the memory wars but they found that therapists were sometimes leading their their clients down that road um that wasn't my experience um and but and and i only talk about my experience in the book obviously but I, I realized that the memory was there a little bit. Like I knew someone was in that room. I knew something didn't happen or, or something happened that affected me that wasn't right. Cause we know that right. Intrinsically we know as, as kids that, you know, this isn't right. We know that. Um, and where was I going
0: with this? <laughs> like, it, you it's got, spreading. It's <laughs> Too many parallels. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, so, so I'm I, just saying, I, I knew
1: the, I knew it informed who I was. Like I, yeah. I saw, uh, I have all my report cards and I see, you know, happy go lucky, responsive, you know, uh, enjoys being here to unresponsive daydreams, doesn't do his work, you know, and it's really, it's just shocking to see these, uh, pairs of, um, uh, report cards.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so same thing. And so we'll, we'll go deeper here. Maybe it can help someone recognize it. So. In, in hindsight, my mom knew something had changed in me right around age five. And my personality, mm-hmm. my outgoingness really changed. Um, so I just really started like licking my lips, this nervous anxiety. I would always have chapped lips. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was about the same time as my parents got divorced. So they thought, oh, that's it. Um, but it was at, at the time my parents were divorcing, a neighbor started molesting me. And, um, and, and I thought, again, I didn't, didn't know this at the time, mm-hmm. uncovered that I thought that if, if I told anyone about this, I would be the next man to be kicked out of the house. Like this Mm. is the pattern that's happening in life. So I can't, you know, my mom's going to know that I got to be a good boy or I, you know, I can't rock the boat. Um, Later, when I remembered, you know, I remember seeing things in the news too. like can't trust childhood memories, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So first I thought relief. Then I was like, no, I'm wrong. I made this up. I'm just looking for an excuse. This really isn't it. Mm -hmm. So when I was, uh, when I was 30, I had myself hypnotized to see if I could prove that that happened. And went back, which five and I was, and I felt disgusting. I had more details of the room and, and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This all right. Get me out of here. Um, and it yeah. took a long time. It's the only time I've ever been hypnotized and they're like, okay, you're back. And I'm like, I feel freaking disgusting. Like I, mm-hmm. am I really back? Like I, 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 it was gross. And she had to talk to me for like 40 minutes. Just, you know, what color is that lampshade and just really helping me get right. present yeah. and just fill my senses like with, mm-hmm. with what's now. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, boy, I, I, I guess all the sort of you know false memories, real memories. You know, it, I guess there's truth in all sides. Like every, but but yeah, it it's a, a tremendous disservice to have anyone having a recollection, having that sudden flash of memory of some some abusive situation that then you know we turn it and, and question yeah. ourselves even more. And, you know, yeah. it's another reason to beat ourselves up and think that we're a loser right. and can't do anything right. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, not and, good.
1: and but. part of us doesn't want it to be true. Yeah. You know? yeah. And for men, especially, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. You know, this is, you know, this, is, we, we, we definitely don't want it to be true. When we look back uh, at that, I describe, um, the recovery as I had a blurry old photograph and then now I have a 4k full length movie you know, playing like, and I just, like you described, you can see the room and I knew the smells and I knew how I responded, you know, and I don't, didn't respect how I responded. Like all, all these awful, awful uh, uh, memories that are uh, now that we have to re reintegrate. Yeah.
0: And, um, oh, now I knew I wanted earlier. So in, in terms <laughs> of, uh, you know, in my own life and in hearing your story and other people's and people ask like, what could I've done to help? And, you can't help anyone that doesn't want to be helped yet. Mm-hmm. And and people tried to intervene with me and, and, and I was a, a cutter in school. And guys mm-hmm. will see like scars. Like, Oh, I was just making a sandwich. You know, I messed up, missed, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, people, I was a good student. So people wanted to believe my, people wanted to believe my lies. Right. And mm-hmm. especially for guys, you know, your friends rest like, Hey, is Rob okay? I'm like, yeah, he's fine. Cause, and I think a lot of us, like nobody wants to see that darkness in them. So to see it in someone else that they care about, it almost like, oh, that must that potential right. is also in me then too. <laughs>
1: Huge, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so really, really important. Um, honestly, if you fear for a loved one, and now I just because I'm researching it because I'm getting the questions a lot and taking the courses, like, I I really lean on safe space. You know, just giving someone a safe space. Um, to be, to do what they need to do, but know that you're there. You're not judging, you know, um, y- you have unconditional love and you're, you're here when they're ready. Um, saying the words out loud was a, was a big one um, and you stay. And those three things were were there for me from my girlfriend and we broke up and she wrote this, you know, very, very long email like, okay, you were a drug addict you are having trouble you you need to get help um, and but I still love you and uh, I know that you know what we went through is, is, is not you know um, conducive of who you can be or who you are type thing and she was just and she stayed and she stayed through the worst of it and then like I cheated before I broke up and then you know burn bridges that's what we knew that's what we do and um, hearing those words and hearing you know you were an addict there's sort of like uh, okay didn't want to see that but those words were out you know uh, saying that are you contemplating suicide now it's there you have a yes or no and yes okay let's go get help no are you sure you have a safe space you know that sort of thing and you know I I jokingly asked my wife um, recently I'm like why the hell did you stay like I mean we 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 had a lot of fun but I was I treated her poorly and and she's it, she's like that's what you do when with someone you love you you stay and you know rewind to her upbringing or she lived with her parents. I have permission to tell the story um, <laughs> she lived with her parents who had group homes that took care of um teenagers problem teenagers and what they needed most is for people to say that we're here and we're gonna stay, no matter what you do, and that's how you heal and this so it was just kind of intrinsic with her she just she stayed and um she was she became my safe space yeah and she knew the worst of it cuz she was there
0: <laughs> wow so she she was truly uh, raised to yeah. to thrive to and survive that. and help yeah. your relationship <laughs> yeah that that that's amazing that's yeah i mean i lucked well, out <laughs> yeah more than that yeah you're, you're very very blessed to have that and cuz not everybody does have that but you know I, and I
1: and, and sorry for inter- inter- interrupting. And I, I didn't do a rehab or a twelve step program because I, I don't think I would have been as strong or as, could, to be that vulnerable. But I had my wife, so I think I checked all the boxes, mm-hmm. you know, of of the twelve step program.
0: So, so was it just a final when you finally got clean? Was it just I've had enough? I'm and just this decision? No,
1: hell no. Okay. <laughs> um, I we weren't together. I asked my wife to marry me and, um, and we were high. She's like, really? And she was even living in a different city. I'm like, yes, let's just do it. And so we did it. We got married two weeks later in Vegas, um, you know, got high again. And, but in order for her to say hi, she's like, we're going to slow down. And then eventually stop this partying. You know, we're going to sell the penthouse downtown. We're going to move to the suburbs. We're going to have a nice little house. We're just going to calm down. And I'm like, okay, that's, we'll do all that. And then we did, and we did all that. And then we slowed down, but it was hard to slow down. Right. It was, it was going from one step back to, or sorry, one step forward to like seven steps back and then, okay, well, let's take another step forward. And maybe this time only five steps back. And then we slip again, but we move forward, constantly move forward, improving our nutrition, you know, getting off my ass cause I was 70 pounds heavier, um, really doing a deep dive into spirituality and, and, and meditation. Um, and then we'd slip, we'd go out and party and then, you know, oops, there goes four days. (laughs) Um, but then it was less and less and, you know, we lived in the suburbs, so less people (laughs) would come to visit us. Um, and then one morning she just sort of said, I think I'm pregnant. Like, okay, zero tolerance. And we haven't looked
0: back. And how long has that been?
1: That's, uh, been three and a half years. Yeah. Cool.
0: So you, you mentioned a couple of times of, of, of what finally was enough is enough and, you know, I'm going to reclaim my life and I am going to live. Um, it, it sounds like you mentioned it was a, a, a series of like rock bottoms and then and one harder rock bottom than others. So, like, <laughs> so it, it was there. One, what was the series or one thing that finally said, all right, I've I've got to make a change. I'm going to I'm going to live and I've got to make a change to make that happen.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's two. There's one when we, I went to, to Walden um, with my girlfriend. I, I had decided I wanted to go alone, but she wanted to come. <laughs> she tagged along. We weren't together. But she was like, can I come? Like, okay. So we drove for six days and we drove down to Walden. And and, and as I'm driving, you have a lot of time to contemplate, right? Um, and I actually drove back to the building where uh, I, I was raped and it, it was gone. It was gentrified. So this like shitty apartment building was gone. And so it was like, it was really strange. I'm like, this is where it happens, you know? And I describe it in my book, my ground zero now has a Starbucks. <laughs> Perfect. And I continue, we continue driving. And I was just like, if I'm driving, I'm doing something. That means I'm I'm not get busy dying, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, to quote Stephen King, I, I was I really, uh, I was trying to to find beauty and um, and Walden blew me away. And there's like, you know, one of my best friends in high school turned me on to, to Thoreau, you know, in civil disobedience in Walden. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go check that out. And sitting in his cabin and we listened to his audiobook and and um, yeah, literally just bathing in that on like, I, I, I really, really want to live. Like, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't want to live. Um, and I, I I'm... I had written a lot in for that, that goodbye, which was almost like an apology, a series of apology essays. Um, and that's when I, I decided to share what I was writing and what I was planning with, uh, with my girlfriend. And that's, that was the big one. The second one it was obviously being pregnant. I know it's, it's not, it's no longer just about me. <laughs> um, and, you know, people talk a lot about purpose and there it is, there you have it. So it sort of fell into my lap.
0: So that, that moment of, of thinking to yourself, realizing, I really want to live, had was that the first time you thought that?
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, there were times when I was just high in the clubs and uh, with, surrounded by all my best friends that sadly disappeared, um, you know, that was on, you know, in for the ride and probably on their own journeys. Um, where like oh, I, I really love these people, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. I really love, I, you know, I'm living life, and they're telling me, you know, how great it is and how much fun we're having. Um, but it is all very much manufactured, you know. Mm-hmm. It was very much
0: drug induced. Mm. Do you have? I'm gonna say real. Well, let's say real. Do you have real friends now? I do.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I've, friendships are difficult for me. I, I've always had trouble with men um i've always had trouble having friendships i never i never really knew how to have friends um you know having acquaintances and you know business partners which are great um uh i had you know i i could relate more to girls probably because i was less intimidated and even now you know i worry uh i i just see men i don't trust them instantly i just sort of have that uh, instinct so having friends is hard but i do have them and the ones i do uh I I I dig deep. <laughs> you know, I really I, I wanna be my authentic self. I, and um a lot of a big part of my journey was how full of shit I was my entire life, right? Mm-hmm. Like Olympic level liar. I just was full of shit. And I had to remember what lies I've told to whom. And that's that's a lot of mental <laughs> power, you know, and to to shed that and to be one hundred percent authentic, real, um uh is so freeing. And so, so yeah, I kind of jump topics. On, it's what I do. Um, and so, yeah, the friends I do have, I keep them close because we have those deep conversations. So the ones that stick and are interested, you know, and I, doing the deep work, not work, but even discussing philosophically or intellectually, you know, I have one of my good friends that I lost. I ostracized during that downfall that I reached out to only a, maybe a couple of months ago uh, and he was one of my best friends and we've reconnected. And he, you know, the reason we didn't be, you know, we stopped being friends weren't the reasons I thought <laughs> they thought we both had our own shit. It was, they were both equally my fault though. <laughs> so, but, uh, and he's one of those, you know, intellects that we can talk about almost anything, but we can call each other a douchebag at the same time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, and I, and I love that. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it only makes sense that again, how do I make friends? If you've always been, uh, leave behind a mask. If you've always been altering your own feelings, you've been covering them all up. You're, you know, it's been fake yeah. Robert interacting with people. Yeah. So yeah, I mean.
1: And and that's that's the, the life context I created with partying, yeah. right? I mean, I'm going out getting bottles and people come. <laughs> uh, there's free alcohol, there's free real estate, there's beautiful girls. Like though, that's the life context. So trying to stop that means i'm giving up friendships either i thought were were real um or um i knew weren't and (laughs) if you know what i mean
0: yeah and that's i really (laughs) want to ask that so in in even in the moment during those times like for myself, when when I was drinking a lot, and my house would be the party place, and I would end up depressed and suicidal like after every party. Like, oh, they're just using me. No one's really my friend. Yeah. Did did you were you having those thoughts during yeah, the time absolutely. at the moment? Yeah. yeah,
1: I did. I did amass a really good crew at the time, where um, some were equally or more successful and and bringing you know contributing more um, in in various ways. And I did make some good friendships that way. Um, then I. Destroyed those friendships <laughs> in my behavior.
0: So it, it it's amazing to me with kind of the the highlights of the lowlights as you're describing them that you could be successful that you could build a business and keep things functioning. Mm-hmm. How 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 did your life stay on the rails?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I mean the downtime. So when I'm not partying, you know uh, the. Mondays were the worst, obviously, Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, you know, um, I no longer have to look at what I just did. And I certainly don't have to look within. So, you know, if I if I can get, you know, 60, 80 hours out of those days, then I would, you know, uh, that's all I would do. I would just work and you know, obviously not denying that I was becoming less and less effective. At first, you know, I wouldn't, I would only do drugs in Las Vegas and I didn't want to be seen because I was on, I was on boards of charities. Um, uh, And then it trickled into Montreal, which is a two hour drive from Ottawa um, and a big party place. And then it, it eventually came, you know, I started to go out with club owners here and then wanting to party here. And then, and so it was just the, the drug use just increased to the point where I was ineffective and I thought I was hiding it well. Mm. But meanwhile, my partners are hiring people to do my work, right? Like, this is, this is you know, and, and so like, both they were both concerned for me personally as well as, you know, we're, we're growing this business, which is now very large business. So mm.
0: mm-hmm. cool. So you still have the business that you built during the rocky times, it still exists, it made it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's done really well. It's like, it's probably worth half a billion right now. Um, I, I sold some shares and I, I retired in 2017, um, and pretty much sold enough just sold everything, all my, um, you know, have some cars and stuff. And then we went traveling with our daughter, uh, for 10 months in Southeast Asia. And, uh, and that's where I wrote the book. That's where yeah. I really focused on, you know, I got a couple hours every day to go, you know, thanks to my wife to, to work on the book. Cool.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so, what sort of things do you do today to maintain your mental health
1: um, i I really did a deep dive into Buddhist practice, uh, which is you know Southeast Asia it 's a lot of Buddhist countries <laughs> um, uh, i you know I, I meditate I, I we did nutrition certifications, so we would just eat really really well. Get off my ass and work out. Uh, Even now, um, you know, we we have like a storage space, and you know, I used to go to the gym, and now I just sort of bought a bench, bought some weights, because I need to need to do something for definitely for the mental health. Um, And I write; I continue to write. So I'm doing a lot of personal essays. You know, um, submitting it to various. You know, uh, getting them published in newspapers. I I really want one. I really want to get published in the New York Times. It's one of my my stretch goals. (laughs) Um, And uh, working on another book because. Uh, actually, there's three other ideas. Um, uh, one of which is I, very germane to what we're we're talking about, which is complex trauma. You know, there there's there's a gap between how trauma is diagnosed and how it's treated, and it's based on this DSM guide, um, uh, and that is that defines how insurance covers it, both in the U.S. and Canada, and um, if there is no complex trauma and like childhood sexual abuse, you know, uh, um, yeah, within within the within the family or not, you can get treated differently. And on the other side, there's these amazing new treatments now. We have EMDR, EMDR, which is something that I, that's been really effective with me. We have um, yeah, neurofeedback training. And we you know, there's there's sound therapy. There's talk therapy. Obviously, um, we we have so much. Uh, and so many different ways we can treat these traumas, um, which is definitely relates to suicide, because that's where it, you know, ultimately drives. Um, There's psychedelics. I'm, and, and, you know, I'm just I'm about four or five books into psychedelics and very exciting about, you know, that, um, that potential. So really reconciling how we diagnose to how we treat is we need to change laws. Uh, we, need to change, we need to get into that, you know, DSM guide so we can properly treat, you know, um, people who struggle with mental health.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mentioned a few times, you know, covering up and, and not know how to have friends, not how to be authentic, and especially as a man, it makes all navigating this mm-hmm. even more difficult. So how did you learn what it means to be a man and, and whatever that means to you? <laughs>
1: Um, I mean, I, I witnessed a lot uh, with my father, um, and which you know, the good and the bad. So, you know, mom left dad when I was eighteen months. From you know, and there was abuse there. And but I would I would go see him. I'd live six hours away, but I'd see him on summers and um, uh, and Christmas. And you know, I you know, I revered him. I thought you know, he was a successful businessman. Um, and uh very you know very well spoken very intelligent um uh, but you know in, in the background which i don't know if i saw it consciously or subconsciously but you know there was abuse there was cheating um you know and that's my role model right so uh, and the rest would be would be television right so that would inform because there was no, no nobody to sit me down to say this is what a man is but it's all going to be television right (laughs) you know definitely sesame street child so um and yeah all those 80s and 90s shows i just watch cop dramas i'm like they're either (laughs) yeah either the the assailants or the you know the the alcoholic police officers (laughs) detectives so yeah that that's essentially where i learned how to be a man before all this
0: is what you absorbed and modeled did it serve you in any way or did it set you up for kind of the, the worst experiences that you've, you've, you've had?
1: Uh, definitely the worst, definitely the worst. Because I I didn't know how to navigate relationships. Um, and uh, I I was never abusive or anything, but uh, well, not physically, but I, th- I definitely think like my humor, you know, just very disparaging, very, um, uh, a, you know anti-feminine right just sort of seeing them as a seeing women as you know lesser like i think that was just in in my mindset um uh and i hated that i hate that, and i hate that now and I, I as i became more aware of it i'm definitely more more sensitive to it and i live with a house full of women now so i definitely have you know some some good referees to call me out on it um and i certainly don't want to be that way as a father you know and i want you know my daughters to be empathetic and fierce and, you know, have their own strengths. Um, so, and, and empowered. So, you know, I think it definitely defined how I entered relationships, but I always kept them I kept most of my relationships, you know, at, at arm's length. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, based on your experience so far, um, <laughs> rate, raising your, your daughter and, and your experience being raised by, by parents, uh, what do you think makes a great dad?
1: Uh, for me, I mean, safe. I go back to safe space, right? You know, if my daughters come out, you know, as gay or trans or whatever, they are going to know that they have a safe space. They know I'm going to love them unconditionally and support them. Um, and I'm going to let them fall, but be there when they get up, right? Like, I'm not going to trip them. <laughs> um, but, you know, because I want them to overcome their own adversity, and adversity has a way of finding everyone. Um, but I want to know that, you know, they, they can rely on me. You know, I, my my eldest is three. And, like, even when she was growing up, she was trying to, like, climb on this couch. And I sit back and watch her climb. And, you know, the worst she can fall is maybe, maybe less than a foot. And, and my mother walked into the room, she's like, you're you going to help her? I'm like, no, she, she, she'll, get, she'll get it, you know, and she fell, you know, and then she got up and she tried again and she fell and, and then and I stopped my mom and like, watch, and then she did it. I don't know, phys- like physics <laughs> didn't make sense to me, but she did it. And The look of pride on her face, it's like, she did it. I'm like, yeah, you definitely did it. You know, have a little celebration. I, that's, that's the kind of dad I like, I like to be, I like to make sure that she'll get things on her own. And now at three, she wants to do everything on her own. I want to do that myself okay let's do it you know
0: is is there a particular habit program book uh, technique that that helped you that you want to share with more people
1: um i the program i just took on the suicide recognition is called assist and um it's there was a subcategory and it's, it's, it's actually 20 bucks right now. um, And it's usually much more. I'll, I'll send you the link. I don't know if you want to put it in the show notes as well. Um, And uh, that helps tremendously. It was actually really, really well, um, produced. There's 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 video and there's uh, and you you interact video and like there's text and stuff and you see how you can raise those things in conversation and how you connect and what you can recognize and how to recognize things, um, and then yeah ultimately how you connect to, to, to people who can help. Um, that's a huge one. And it was yeah I forget it was called it was a part of the assist program though. No. Um, I love reading books like memoirs on addiction. Uh, and when I decided to read, uh, to write mine, I obviously went out and read as much as I could, you know, Wild by Sir- Cheryl Strayed and Portrait of the Addict as a young man. Um, geez, like Theo Fleury is a famous, uh, NHL player, one of the best of all time. He wrote, uh, you know, a really important book uh, in the nineties that he had raped, uh, 150 times, um, when he was, you know, rising up to his, uh, the, to the NHL, um, And that was sort of, you know, very, very blunt, very important book, you know, for me anyway, you know, in a Canadian context. Uh, um, And so, I mean, I mean, there's those, those types of books. Um, Not really sure with programs like, like you on my website, I have a list of every single number with every municipality in North America, if you need help. So that's there as well. Uh, I like that you did that. You have you you actually started that with that Mm -hmm. conversation. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, those books, there's just a lot of books I can, I can rhyme off. I don't want to <laughs> give too many.
0: Is that the type of book you, during your wild days, would you read those books? Or was it only while you were preparing your own?
1: Only while I was preparing my own. Okay. Well, that's not true. I mean, I think subconsciously, I, I, th- I think I read wild before, before I decided to make this a book. Um, or maybe when I was playing with the idea, um, um, but I, I mean, there there are always those interesting stories and my book, you know, it really gets into, you know, the descent, but as much uh, is, is is the healing because there is no one thing. I think it's, it's a series of things, right? There there's small fixes and that you make habits that become more important. You know, meditation was a big catalyst for me, um, Nutrition was a big thing for me. I often say cinnamon changed my life because just replacing the sugar I was drinking in my coffee with cinnamon, you know, so I you know, avoid the sugar and I'm adding something, you know, good. I'm actually nourishing myself rather than harming myself, which is a whole big thing. So I make these small little improvements and then those will, you know, snowball into big ones. Yeah.
0: yeah I find that that's frustrating in my experience. Anytime I'm interviewed about um, my past or the books I've written, people like what's the one thing that turns you around? Like nothing it does. It isn't that if it, yeah, yeah, if, if it was just, you know, this uh, magic bullet sort of scenario, yeah. then it'd be easier to find. And you know, right. someone would find it, tell everybody and the issue with suicide would be over.
1: But yeah,
0: uh, yeah, it play out like that.
1: yeah but. it's very, very true. And you know what? Someone asked me that outright. Um, I don't want to call anyone out, but someone did ask me early on in the process uh, of this book. Um, and they're like, you know, I really struggled, and then they shared their trauma with me, you know, and um, which is difficult in and of itself. Um, and you thank them for sharing. And what is the one thing that helped? And like, it's, it's, you know, and it just kind of caught me off guard. I didn't really know how to answer it, and then I just sort of got it. So it's not one thing, you know. You gotta treat yourself, treat, it, treat yourself with love.
0: Good. So, so now we've made it clear that it's not one thing. But is there one thing you wish more men knew about?
1: You know, you can, we we can use you know male machismo to our advantage. You know, we can use our ego to our advantage. You know, the big thing that men you know have you know like we 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 can be stoic. There stoicism is, is has a place. It is is has a great place, um, but not to give a shit what anyone thinks is. Um, a good thing in that I, I like Katy Perry music. I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. I like, um, you know, I'll dress like a, like a princess with my daughter. I don't care what anyone thinks. Right. Cause it's, a, it's about my daughter at that point. You know, I, like all those, those, I guess things, you know, Picadillos associated with male toxicity, um, it, 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 all the, we, we can own that, you know, we can, we can just be ourselves. I, what are your thoughts on that Gillette commercial on male toxicity?
0: Oh, I, I thought it was great. I, it didn't bother me at all. I, I, yeah, we had a whole show, too. we had a panel discussion on it. Yeah.
1: You did. Okay. Yeah. Cause it, it, it was controversial. Yep. I, I found later and, and, and for me, I'm like, no, I think, it's really, it's really important. Those, those messages were yeah. really important. How we raise our boys is a really, yeah. really important
0: thing. So, some men, the people that got upset about it felt like it was saying men are toxic. Mm-hmm. Like it, but it was, no, it's like, can we do better? It wasn't saying hey, you're all horrible. You better do better. It was like, yeah. can we do better than these examples we're showing? And yes, yeah. we can. Yeah. But it's yeah. that simple. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't take it as a personal affront. Like <laughs> how dare you razor company judge me, you know, but some people yeah. did, you know, that's what it seemed yeah. to be.
1: It's yeah, it's amazing. I, I'd love to drill down in some of the the psychology behind the people that were because what I read, I'm like, well, that person, what he's complaining about, he's projecting a little bit. So there's, yeah. I think there's something there. There's a source to that. Um, you know, again, I, I suppose people like us, do, you know, <laughs> we we see the good. I think we're two optimists talking right now. Yeah. So I guess we're we're projecting as well. But
0: yeah, and again, um, and this sir, I I won't speak for you, but um, I have not always been this way. Right. So oh, yeah, sure. you know, if that had aired and I was 18, like, ah, you freaking asshole company. What do you think? You know, I don't, I don't know what my reaction yeah. would have been, but
1: yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, you know, out in the clubs early, you know, we're looking for, for girls, we're looking for girls and we objectify, uh, objectify them appropriately. That's, that's how it was. Um, and I hated that. Some of the stuff that I've said, or done make me cringe that that's like, like, you know, I, I that's not how, you know, I want to be. And I, I forgot where I read it, but I believe that we're secretly looking for permission to be better. I, I really believe that. Like, I think you—you you have your show. <laughs> there's, there's a really good example. You know, I—I I have my book and the way you know we we live our lives. I really think that, you know, a lot of us are just looking for to be like, you know, what I don't really want to treat this woman like. I don't want to go out. If I want to go out, I want to be with my friends, you know, I just want to, you know, have fun, have a few drinks, maybe don't drink anymore, you know, or do whatever and, and, and have a good conversation. I don't want to be like, how do we angle that group of 20-somethings? Like, I, that's not interesting to me. Yeah. And, but to say that in the moment, surrounded by four or five guys that are relaxing and stuff, and like, yeah. and I boxed for 14 years. Like, that was man, man like that's the manly of manliest thing you can probably do, and is to get punched in the face, which I, I did a lot. Um, so I, I and I let that go, and now I'm somewhat. I'm pretty much a pacifist. Like, I, I definitely adopted Buddhist practice. Like, I you know I don't even watch violent movies. <laughs> you know, like I'm probably, you know, 29 Marvel movies behind. I think so. I, I think I'm where very. very I, I just it's not interesting to me because so I give myself permission to like, you know, I want to watch what I want to watch and whether you deem it feminine is not my concern.
0: (laughs) No, I think that's the, the lure, the power of the, the notion of the man box and yeah. so you, you, and I've had, had the experience too, like I'm doing something that I feel conditioned I'm supposed to do. I'm telling, I don't even like it. Why am I doing this? Yeah. But I'm going to do yeah. it because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's that training. I like don't want to be judged as different or other, or right. you know, not enough, not a man, all these sort of things that were running through our heads all the freaking time mm-hmm. until yeah. uh, that's part of the title of the show until you realize that no, be, you know, I'm a man. Whatever I do means being a man. Yeah. And what, yeah, and, exactly. and these feelings, these thoughts like this is life. This is my my emotions are telling me, yeah, this isn't for you. This I'm mm-hmm. I'm not feeling good doing this. So do fucking something else. Like wake yeah. up.
1: Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. That's exactly. I think it's wired in, you know. We we don't want to be ostracized from the tribe, but uh we can choose our tribe now. So yeah. <laughs> so we cool. can we, we can be our own tribe.
0: Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um in the process of writing the book or everything since it's come out uh what are you proud of um when so i talk a
1: lot uh when when i read theo flurry's book i actually reached out to him um he has like a website you can reach out so i had a one-on-one uh he did like a, an hour and a half face time with me It was awesome um and he warned me of a few things all of which came to fruition is, is say, you know, people are going to read it. People are going to share with you their trauma, you know, and you'll, you'll have the good with the bad with that. So be prepared for that. Cause that's a trauma for you. Um, how you respond can or cannot be, or, or won't be uh, a trauma for them. And um, another big thing was how many people will come at you and like the sheer prevalence and overwhelming feeling that you can't help everyone. Um, and so having that conversation, this was months before the book came out. I'm just so, so grateful that he, he told me those things because I did a pre-release with 200 people and 30% responded by sharing with that trauma. Mm-hmm. And it was so, and this is friends and family. So it was people I knew. Um, and I didn't know, like I it was just, I just sort of like, I, I, had, I entered a men's group, which helps as well, you know, to help people learn how to share and how to respond. Um, and I miss those guys because <laughs> um, we can't meet because it's a pandemic. But um, that, how I've been able to respond and how I have been able to prevent a suicide, I have been able to um, turn what I've written into some good. I, I wrote an essay um, in my men's group. Actually, uh, uh, I I had shared, it was the week before the book was about to come out and uh, I was the first to do the sharing. We've been meeting for weeks and we lead up to it. Thank God. Because um, we get to know each other, whatever. And uh, um, I shared first and then I also shared, listen, all my, my stories coming out, you know, um, uh, this is the book. And I gave them all a, a copy to read. And the next week, I, an older gentleman um was he he was going to share that week and he had been holding on to something for 50 years and uh something that he never told anyone except his wife and his therapist and he was encouraged to do the men's group he shared and at the end of it he turned to me and looked me right in the eyes it's like i could not have done the sharing thing if it wasn't for your book um and uh, i just i didn't know what to do with it you know i just you know immediately started crying and was just like thank you rob and i wrote an essay about that that feeling you know because there's that old, you know, uh, cliche it can help one person, you know, it would have been worth it. So, but it did and it was. Um, so I think I'm most proud of how it's, it's actually been able to help. Um, and I'm reading people don't, people say, don't read your reviews, but I'm reading my reviews and they're all positive and it's how people, you know, it's helped some people. And um, I'm definitely the most proud of that. Yeah. That's why I wrote it. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I, mean, I find in, in men's groups and day-to-day life, Especially true for men, that first guy to break down the barrier to be authentic to speak some truth for them mm-hmm. always met with me too, yeah, right yeah, yeah. Like, s- silence kills, yeah,
1: so the really, the, the, the really bravery
0: nice. to not be silent is mm-hmm. is just so well received and yeah. yeah and and I had that thought. Over a decade ago too. If I can just, you know, if my share my shitty experiences and I help just one person, it's all worth it. Mm-hmm. And true, but when you do that, you help so more than one person. Yeah. And that's what's it's not an ego trip. It's not, you know, but like, no, you're that ripple effect. Like yeah. you being open and honest is a ripple effect that helps so many people, and mm-hmm. a, a tiny minority of which will get back to you and let you know. Right. Yeah. yeah, you're Absolutely. you're helping lives nonstop once you share your authentic life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. and and, and for my experience anyway and this may, may be true with you and, and hopefully your, your listeners once you do start sharing um, people thank you. Mm-hmm. People call you brave and courageous yeah. that's that's another pill to swallow right We have to and, and I took that to therapy and my therapist is like you can integrate the good. too, right? Don't, don't just integrate the bad, you know, let's integrate the good and and be okay with that. So, and, and definitely, because you mentioned ego trip, you know, just sort of accepting praise as well as criticism, you know, with gratitude and humility.
0: Yeah. I mean, we all, we all have, it's, it's, uh, Panash Josiah was on a a show a few weeks earlier and he talked about the commonality amongst all human beings is this core belief that we're not good enough. And yeah. so once you hear, once you stop drinking and drugging and wanting to die, and then people tell you, you're amazing. Oh, that's still not good enough. We'll, we'll come back yeah. in another way. Like, no, 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 please. And we, we have resistance to praise. We have resistance to, you know, we, we want to be our true authentic selves. And there's still all this residue of when someone sees that, that you still want to shrink back a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Our, our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah. <laughs> I love that yeah. line. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's true. It's, it's so totally true. true. And that's mm-hmm. why people work hard to bury it with sex, yeah. with drugs, with work, with it. You know, all every yeah. addiction is to cover up how much light you have, how much, yeah. how much power you yeah. have, how you can impact mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: that's And that's, that's why I turned to Buddhism really, because, and it's funny because I, I was brought up Catholic and then uh, recovered from that. And that was an angry atheist for a very long time <laughs> and turned to you know, meditation is utilitarian. Hey, it helps me sleep and helps me not do drugs. And then like Buddhist practice is like you have this, everybody has this uh, perfect Buddha nature, inner Buddha nature, which no matter what you've done in your life, you have a perfect person in, in there, you know, perfect soul in there. And then in studying that, reading Thich Nhat Hanh, living, uh, living Buddha, living Christ, and it's turned back to like Christianity. And it's how that, you know, you can, you um, become your best self through any, any, any faith. So it's kind of circled back to, you know, a Western, Western thought. But, uh, but that's what drew me in is that, that inner light. I'm like, ah, because a um, it's great to see yourself as that, but you can be, you can be hold yourself accountable. You don't have to worry about anything else. So um, to the good and the bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool, Awesome. Um, I really appreciate uh, you being alive <laughs> and, and sharing your experiences uh, writing the book. I, I know uh, it is not easy. And I know it's a transformational process. So congratulations on coming through everything you've come through. <laughs> thank um, you. Rob, what's, what's the best way people can get in touch with you, find out what you're up to, you know, f- uh, get get themselves a copy of the book?
1: Well, before I say that, thank you <laughs> for your show, your platform, and all the work you're doing. It's really, really important. So thank you. Um, me, um, the website uh, is before I leave you.com. It, it was originally my name, but a lot of people can't spell the Rob Imbo and <laughs> let alone pronounce it. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh but before I leave you.com goes to the website and then all my socials are up there. Uh, I'm not on Instagram because it gives me anxiety. So just Twitter and Facebook, um, and you know, most of almost everything I post on Facebook is public. So, um, that's all it's, it may be boring to most people, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, yeah. So, uh, that's, that's where I am.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, we'll have links in the show notes at realmanfield.org. We'll get a link to Rob's book. We'll get a link to every book he mentioned that helped him along his journey as well. And, uh, links to again, more, more, um, suicide hotlines and help if that's where you are. And even just to have that nowhere to find it and share it with other people. Right. Uh, it, no one gets out of this alive, but nope. you don't have to get out of it early. Right? <laughs> really don't
1: well put well put yeah
0: Yeah. cool
1: now let's just surf it in let's surf it in
0: yeah 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 make this ride last as long as it can because it's the only one you're gonna have right Mm -hmm. so uh we can all do better be better and and trust our feelings trust It, it it it's interesting i was gonna say trust those thoughts in your head but not not every thought in your head is your thought. And just because you think no. it doesn't mean it's true. Mm-hmm. So it's navigating right. what what mm-hmm. thoughts serve me, what impulses serve me, and what is just self-destructive and is just the lie and it's that darkness. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, again, I'm, I'm glad you came through it. I'm glad I came through it. I'm glad we can both help other people come through it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so thanks again, Rob. Thanks for everyone listening. Wherever you're discovering real men feel, uh, Give us some light. Give us some love. Give us a share, a comment, some feedback, subscribe. And until next time, as always, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. or prevent any disease.